This episode is brought to you by Safety First Baby Monitors. Are you experiencing strange things at night? Has your cornfield been leveled by extraterrestrials? Then you need the Safety First Baby Monitor. By connecting you and your loved ones, you too can communicate with the unidentified visitors from another planet, warning you of an incoming attack. Buy your Safety First Monitor today. Hello, hello, welcome to the Spectre Cinema Club, a podcast obsessed with subgenres in the horror realm. I am one of your hosts, Devon Taylor, sitting with me as always, got Mr. Garrett McDowell. Hello, hello, glad to be back. Yes, 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 y'all, and we are in uh, week two of our uh, M. Night Mania, uh, celebrating the works of Mr. M. Night Shyamalan, um, mm-hmm. as we pick a different subgenre or category for each month to dive into. We uh, started off with his most recent offering, but now we're going to go back in time a little bit uh, with one of his earlier films. Joining us, we have one of the co-hosts of the Drunken Horror Pod. Welcome to the show, Alice Boyd-Leslie. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. I love how we have like multiple ends of intoxication on the podcast. We've got the, the weed <laughs> angle. Now we've got the alcohol angle. It's like a perfect, you know, <laughs> we're cross-faded here. Oh, we are. Perfect re- night out. <laughs> I mean, th- there's no better way to uh, deal with aliens than when you're cross-faded. Um, I mean, I think that makes perfect sense. Um, I got another uh, international guest. It's been a while since we've had a international guest. So very to uh, get a little bit more of a um, more well-rounded uh, global perspective on uh, on this story. Um, but before we get into signs, which we're going to talk about today, um, what are your feelings on Mr. M. Night Shyamalan in general as a director? Um, you know, I've all, I haven't seen all of his films. And actually, I was looking at his IMDb list and I'm surprised with how there's not really that many i always think he's one of those directors who's got a long list of films for me to catch up on um and i haven't seen everything i think he's he's fine and i think as the years have gone on i think he's gotten a little bit worse um apart from the visit which i think is a banger i i love that film (laughs) um and i think i don't know if it's because i'm expecting there to be a twist and so I'm like I know how this is going to happen now like so there's going to be something's going to happen it's going to be a little twist and then I'm going to be really disappointed by it because that's always what it feels like now (laughs) Um, interesting I'm glad that we get somebody on here that isn't like a uh, devotee as well you know so that again we get kind of a more well-rounded because that's the that's the thing with M. Night you know he is a very divisive director and um his uh his filmography trajectory is um you know different depending on who you ask yeah yeah definitely um yeah Yeah, m night has always remained a very controversial filmmaker and even his newest film that we talked about last week uh is not you know uh exempt from that rule so it's nice to talk about probably i would argue his most like controversial or at least like divided film uh which is signs which is still 
debated so heavily among uh, fans of his and, and people who are, are quick to criticize. Uh, I think one look on Letterboxd will show you that there's so many varied opinions on this film, usually for like pretty similar reasons, um, but I'm excited to talk about it today. Yeah, the, the, the different eras, you know, because again, we just talked one of his most recent ones. And, uh, you know, with this earlier era, uh, I think it's interesting. I think this is when he did have the highest expectations from people because he did kind of come out of the gate with um, with a few hits in a row, you know. So uh, earlier in his career, he kind of had these like way higher expectations. And I think those films do look differently compared to uh, the most recent three or four films he's done when expectations have been completely different. Yeah, definitely. He did really like the Sixth Sense really kind of like threw him out of the gate pretty like head on, isn't it? And then like and Unbreakable as well was was pretty good. And then it's just that's a lot to live up to. Once you like one of your first movies to be like one of the most iconic movies in cinema, really. Um arguably uh and then you've you know, like now what do i do well i keep trying to top the sixth sense every movie that i make <laughs> yeah like the, the the pressure on him had to have been like pretty crazy i can imagine because not only did he set these high expectations he was also a young guy like mm-hmm. m night is only 52 right now so like you think you know like he was in his late 20s early 30s when uh, kind of all this was happening so like that's a you know immense pressure put on a, a fairly young uh, director as well yeah 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 definitely i always forget how young he is as well um, absolutely yeah, yeah. <clears throat> well let's go ahead and um we already got a little bit of our opinion from knock on a cabin last week but now let's go ahead and travel back in time and talk about some early m night films and uh with the episode or uh, with the movie that we're talking about for today's episode Signs, written and directed by M. Night Shyamalan. Uh, this came out in 2002 with a cinematography done by Tak Fujimoto, um, a score done by the brilliant James Newton Howard. Uh, this was edited by Barbara Tolliver. And I did want to note that uh, with Fujimoto, this was uh, the second of uh, three collaborations with him and M. Night. And uh, this was the third uh, collaboration out of eight with uh, James Newton with James Newton Howard and M. Night. So I love whenever, uh, you know, we take a look at some of these directors and get to see uh, the the recurring crew members that uh, pop up throughout their career. So uh, two, two big collaborators here in this one. Um, this movie did gangbusters at the box office. I didn't realize it made this much money. It did $408.2 million on a $72 million budget. Um, also didn't realize the budget was so big for this movie. Where is it? Um <laughs> <laughs> um, Rotten Tomatoes has this at a 75% out of 238 reviews, which is, you know, pretty solid for this, and a letterbox average rating of 3.4 out of 5. So, Alice, as you are not um, the biggest M. Night fan, what made you want to talk about Signs today? Um, do you know what, like, and I'm not even really the biggest fan of Signs, but I think that's why I wanted to talk about it, because, like, I always seem to pick movies I really love. And that's all well and good, but I quite like to talk about a movie that I'm not really the biggest fan of, but hear other people's opinions of it and maybe sway me to liking it a bit more. Um, and I think it's the, one of the main reasons why I think I don't I don't really like it. So I've never really found it scary, um, which I know lots of people 
kind of have and it's always that the one particular scene is always on people's lists of like scariest moments of all Mm -hmm. time um and i remember the first time watching it being like oh okay but i think as we've kind of we've discussed when we were um organizing this recording i think scary movie three has really ruined this (laughs) film for me I have like <laughs> yeah we, we talked about that and I was like I've seen this movie so many more times or I've seen scary movie three so many more times than I've seen signs I think that's hilarious yeah. and like as I was watching this I was like anticipating the beats because I was remembering the scary movie three scene not the scene uh, yeah. from the movie itself <laughs> and I think that that's totally what I think I watched scary movie three before I watched signs and so I think it like it totally ruined it for me because because some scenes are so almost shot for shot and you're just Mm -hmm. expecting the kind of comedic bit to happen and it doesn't and you're like okay (laughs) so it just feels silly now Um, well i like this approach you're you're one of the first guests that actually uh pick something that they weren't a fan of and want to see if we can mine some more out of it so i'm i'm digging this approach uh garrett uh how was your rewatch of this do you remember the first time you saw this uh, I do remember the first time I saw this. I was probably way too young to see it, and this was kind of this was my very first M Night experience. Uh, this came out two thousand two, so just a f- few years prior, I was just a baby boy. Uh, so I saw this when I was probably too young. Uh, also, at the time, uh, the way my uh, uh, house was, I- I'm from uh, Indiana. I've mentioned that on the show, uh, Indiana. Corn is like the biggest, you know, crop that we have in the state. And this movie has a house surrounded by cornfields, as was my house that I, I was in at that time. So this movie scared the shit out of me. <laughs> like, are you kidding me? Like watching this movie and having those scenes where uh, Mel Gibson, first of all, yuck, we'll get that out of the way. Uh, walking through the cornfield, seeing the leg kick out uh, from behind the stalks is the creepiest shit in the world to me when I was a kid. So going back and watching it now and being able to to appreciate it not just from a horror level but from a character perspective uh, also the music of this movie which I'm excited to talk about uh, and the performances as well uh, to me I think that this is such a strong outing for M. Night Shyamalan I totally understand a lot of people's criticisms of the movie uh, but for me this is one that only has gotten stronger the older I've gotten uh, and I found so much more to mine from this movie just uh, you know set apart from those scenes that people talk about you know the found footage scene and the the cornstalk scene there's so many uh iconic scares in this movie but i've just really found this to be just a really solid outing from m night Shyamalan. there's obviously some uh some issues i have with the film it's not completely bulletproof for myself uh but i think it's going to make for a really good discussion yeah i remember something cool about this movie this was one of the first movies that i remember getting me interested just off the poster alone because I remember, you know, we have the poster that has, you know, the titular signs in the in the poster. And uh, just I remember seeing that image and just I had never really thought about it. And I was like, oh, my God, that's so cool. And I remember I even before the movie came out, I remember going to like the school library and trying to find like any alien space like books that I could find just because that image like like got my brain going before even seeing the movie. Um, so, so I do remember that, but then I'm pretty sure I've only seen this once, um, aside from this most rewatch and interesting that you said, Garrett, that you think this is his most, uh, or one of his more divisive films, um, for at least in the past, uh, week of, uh, M night discourse following knock at the cabin, I'd say that goes to the village, 
Um, that I think that easily seems to be his most divisive one. This one, I was like, this is like very straightforward. Like this is another one of his like pretty straightforward. I would almost say his most accessible film. Like if you were going to show somebody um, a film that you were going to bet on them liking, I think you would show them this aside from the sixth sense. Like if you're like, no, I think somebody would like what M night movie is. Um, the general person get enjoy. I would almost say this one, and because uh, I was kind of taken aback that I was like, oh, this is very straightforward. Um, the themes are very clean and concise, and even though maybe he's not saying the most groundbreaking things in the film, I think he is still saying them in a very interesting fashion. And this is, uh, I think, the first one where um, this was. I think that people want to pick at this one because they again were expecting a twist, and then when this one, I don't really think has a twist I think it has a reveal but I don't think it's a twist though it like the that the information reveal at the end of this one um doesn't change the course of the movie um so I wouldn't even say this is a twist but people do love to debate the ending on this one but yeah I really enjoyed um all the performances all around uh you know yes Mel Gibson total trash human being um and I especially come for me some of the things he said like that Ew, gross man. But man, he does put in a very good performance here. Abigail Breslin, and she's like five in this. Like she is like putting on a really good kid performance in this one. Yeah. Um, absolutely definitely. adorable and creepy. Um, so yeah, some great performances. But man, yeah, that James New and Howard score in this, those opening credits, like smacked me in the face. Like it was so good. Like the way the strings come in and then it just picks up the pace, and then the title credits pick up the pace too. Really cool little detail. So, um, uh, you know, going around on this one, yeah, I didn't find it particularly scary, but I did enjoy um, the conversations amongst the family and just this portrayal of um, this uh, this loving family, you know, who is obviously still going through something, but the way that they um, still um, interact e with each other in such genuine fashions during this event, um, I found very compelling. So I'm excited to get into it. Um, for those of you that have not seen the film or maybe haven't seen it in a while, we're going to hit you with a 60-second synopsis because it is spoilers from here on out. Alice, are you ready to give your 60-second synopsis? Let's do this. All right. I got you on the clock here in three, two, one, go. So the uh, the trash fire that is Mel Gibson and uh, his brother, Joaquin Phoenix, uh, live in a farm with uh, Mel's two kids. Uh, the kid from uh, Scary Movie 4, uh, the Cole Maca uh, Macaulay Culkin's brother, uh, and then the girl from Zombieland, who we spoke about. Um, <laughs> uh, and um, he uh, loses his faith after his wife's death, um, and then aliens invade for reasons. Um, but that helps him uh, bring back his uh, faith again uh, and make him a believer. Um, and there's also water involved and uh, baseball <laughs> <All right. laughs> in the classic M. Night Way. <laughs> well, you had 15 <clears throat> seconds to spare there. and Nice. <laughs> you, had, uh, you had more than enough time uh, to spare in this one because, like I said, I feel like this film is fairly straightforward. Um, Garrett, what were uh, some of the subgenres that we're going to get into for this one? 
you know, it's it's the the classic Jamie Lee Curtis, uh, uh, you know, <laughs> meme of trauma and grief, and uh, this is a, a genre that has been, the the dead horse that has been kicked uh, so thoroughly in recent years. Uh, but give this uh, a bit of a pass because of the uh, the early two thousands, so uh, it kind of predated that that trend that we saw so much in the past uh, ten years or so. But yes, this is about grief. Uh, this is about trauma. Uh, big divorce dad energy, but instead uh, he is a, a, a widower. Uh, in this having uh, lost his wife and trying to be the best awkward dad that he can be uh, I'm kind of obsessed <laughs> with uh, Mel Gibson's performance in this movie uh, because he is like this is like post Braveheart you know where he's like this badass martyr you know uh, a Scottish patriot and in this he's just like this awkward dad in that scene where he uh, they they find the creature on the roof and he's like yelling out in the in the yard he's just like this complete weirdo like loser big like church energy <laughs> kind of guy um, so yeah Mel Gibson's performance in this is is really a, a turn of pace for him but um, all kind of points to this the story of someone who's just trying to like keep it all together after the the passing of his wife and these these kids mom so yeah definitely uh, a lot of this film is surrounding you know death and this family and how they're able to kind of come together following this uh, horrible tragedy yeah what were uh, some of the subgenre elements that were sticking out for you alice i think it's kind of the same really um and i i think i i mean it's been a few years since i watched this film before i kind of rewatched it for for this and i i mean even though it's quite obvious i don't think it ever really properly hit home for me um when i was watching it when i was younger um and watching it as a kid as like as an adult now um yeah just that it really puts you kind of think about how what i would be like in that situation because the way his wife dies is pretty horrific like it's not just a simple you know yeah. she had mm-hmm. cancer or or something like that it's probably one of the worst ways to go <laughs> getting yeah. pinned by a car <laughs> something um, i didn't even realize until this most recent rewatch is when the the ch- sheriff is like describing to him of like what the situation is they're like oh she's in half <laughs> and like the car is <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> keeping her together i was like oh that's really sad <laughs> that's really also super gross too uh, so also yeah. something that i completely missed when i was a kid <laughs> Yeah, yeah, like so, so horrible. Um, and I think it's probably one of the, one of the best depictions of a kind of a pretty good. Even though there is like issues, like issues of you should all just talk to each other because clearly you're all holding everything in. But it does still show like a really good family life, um, especially between the um, the two kids, uh, Bo and Morgan, like. That is a really nice like, brother-sister relationship that you see. There's never any kind of little arguments or like, oh, my little sister's so annoying or anything like that. Like, Morgan is like the best big brother like ever. Mm-hmm. So yeah. good. The 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 it's funny that like the the family drama is so much stronger than you know the the alien aspects of it, which the alien aspects are pretty minimal. Um, I do enjoy the I, I I like the depiction of like how people would react to an alien invasion. Like it's with fear, but it's not like this over um, you know zealous like oh well, it, we're gotta we're gonna be a war and we're gonna mobilize like you know like all those kind of things. I like that it is kind of played in a more 
um, realistic, like kind of drawn back way. And especially having this family that is, you know, isolated from the rest of uh, the town, you know, uh, depicts that even stronger. But the family drama is really great. Like, um, you know, Graham is a very good dad. Like he, he's a like he's a very patient dad. Uh, throughout this movie, which I like, was very enraptured with, but then also um, watching how goofy and awkward he is. Like he's practically a walking pair of Levi jeans in this movie, and uh, <laughs> but it's perfect. It really is, and uh, and yeah, great great sibling dynamic as well. Like yeah, these um, you know the you know comforting each other and like just seeing this family try to do that, but then having the um, you know I guess the science versus faith debate throughout this film. Um, what I really like about it is that it's not about, you know, whether God is real or not, but rather than explaining why the reasons why people need faith, you know, or, or why they need a reason to believe in things and whether or not it is real or not doesn't matter as long as it makes you feel better. And that's something that's always interesting for me as someone that's agnostic. I you know, grew up from a church background. Um, but then I kind of went away from the church very fast, but I wouldn't call myself an atheist either because I, you know, still have feelings and reasons and understand what the, the need for spirituality for different people. So getting to, um, watch Graham, uh, kind of process that like, of cause it was kind of similar for me. I lost my faith around the time where there was just a string of deaths in my family. Um, and I kind of had that feeling of like, if God is real, why would he do this? You know, or like this whole God's plan thing, or is there just random chance throughout the universe? And I like that M night uh, took this movie to be like, you know what? It can be both. It just, it depends on what perspective you want to look at it. And so it's like, I like that this is a movie about faith and religion, but you definitely don't feel like that getting hit over the head or anything or like him either try and he's not trying to sway you in either direction either. So I very much appreciate that. Yeah, I think the there's obviously the kind of the crux of the entire kind of theme and message in, in, in uh, Gibson's arc throughout the film is in that monologue. There's not just a title drop in it, but it is kind of enrapturing his entire inner conflict as a character. And I think even if I don't think that the film is alienating, uh, no pun intended, uh, for an audience that is not of the faith of not of not of the cloth, because I think that this film is more about hope and it is more about bad things are going to happen to you regardless if you are a person of faith but how do you respond to that are mm -hmm. you able to look towards a higher purpose and a reasoning for this stuff to happen or are you going to look towards it as just kind of like dumb luck coincidence sort of thing but beyond that too in this monologue he also talks about like those who who you are with and like feeling alone or feeling like that even when these terrible things happen you have somebody to lean on whether that is your faith or even family members or loved ones because in that other group that he talks about there is more of this feeling of, of isolation and being truly alone and that in this uh, morning period you have really nobody that you can look towards and that's such a an obvious theme in this movie is togetherness and, and family and connection um, that relates specifically to how they're able to communicate uh, with the with the life forms but yeah I think that even if you aren't a super religious person I think that there is more of an overarching theme of hope 
for this film. Mm-hmm. I don't think that this movie is necessarily like, yeah, at the end of it, he becomes a priest again, and yeah, everything is saved, and he believes in God, and that's a victory. I think it's more of, it's a victory for him, because that was something that was taken away from him, uh, something that he clearly was passionate about, but because of these extenuating circumstances, he has lost that hope. So I think that it's easy for some people to see that last shot of this film to where he's, you know, wearing the, the priest regalia and everything and be like, oh, that's kind of a yucky, you know, now he's a member of the church again, which I totally understand. I know uh, the Catholic Church and just religion in general is such a, stick, a sticky and personal subject for a lot of people. But I think it's more about his reclaiming of that sense of hope, of that sense of humanity that was kind of taken away from him. Yeah, yeah, totally. Like like you said, it's not the religious side of it isn't shoved down anyone's necks at all. Um, it's not telling you you should believe uh, in God because that will save you from alien invasion or something mm-hmm. like that. Like mm-hmm. <laughs> it's uh, but it yeah, it is kind of all about you have to maybe you have to believe in something, whether that's like whether that is a God, whether that is. Um, coincidences that happen um there is always always good to have to have something and to kind of hold on to that because like you're saying bad stuff's going to happen no matter what you believe in um and don't kind of don't let that go i guess mm-hmm. i mean i, I think <laughs> as, as we kind of um you know can start seeing some through lines between Shyamalan's films and uh and we talked in the in the last one about his um you know changing of certain elements from the book to be a little bit more optimistic but when you kind of look through a lot of his films he is a very hopeful optimistic kind of guy and a lot of the uh you know movies seem to be trying to but he doesn't shy away from you know showing you the horrors of the world like you know there is kind of this uh, repeating motif of being like you know there are you know these terrible things in the world they are very scary and it's okay to be scared of them but then it's okay to have you know but you it's okay to have hope about it as well. Um, you know, him kind of trying to find hope in these, like, you know, very bleak, in a very dark, bleak spots, you know, and and, and using it, um, you know, kind of with the family of, like, you know, he kind of really piles it on to this family, you know, of, like, okay, like, they not only lost their, you know, uh, the, the mom and wife, and then they're not only, they're also isolated, and they're kind of you know, now he is, you know, the the dad is kind of losing his identity. And then, oh, and now there's a possible alien invasion on top of it, you know. So it's like he really is like, you know, piles it on. Um, but then I think he always kind of earns these very, um, you know, hopeful moments, even if it or hopeful endings, even if, um, you know, it, it's not always the most um doesn't doesn't align with what you possibly think but i think you know he is at the end of the day he tells stories you know he's not trying to tell life you know he he very much is more telling stories and i I like that approach Mm -hmm. yeah and i think m night also approaches this idea with such a sense of humor too i forgot how funny this movie was damn it's hilarious Uh, so funny it's it's really funny there's so many awkward bits that are like a a lot of the humor comes from the awkwardness of these characters like this entire family is just a bunch of awkward kind of weirdos um which i think could 
potentially have some people be like unable to connect with some of the characters in this because they're all really strange people <laughs> and that might like that might not be on purpose by M. Night because he also writes humans like they're not humans and it makes me wonder I'm like M. Night have you talked to a person in the past like 15 years like why do you write all your characters like this but I think with this it really does work uh, and I think that yeah M. Night is able to approach this idea I don't even know what what his own faith is I, I'd be curious to see that of interviews with them. I'm sure they're out there about what his own journey is with faith and why he felt that this story was one that he wanted to tell. I'd be really curious to uh, to see that. But yeah, I think his sense of humor that he approaches this movie with is a real reason that uh, it's kind of not able to be so self-serious throughout the entire thing. And it, that could be a, a dangerous thing because M. Night's humor is not always the best. Sometimes it's really funny, not intentionally, like with the happen, uh, the happening, uh, and sometimes it really works like this. Uh, I think this is one of his best examples of movies that are creepy and, you know, very humanistic, but also have such a great uh, sense of humor to him, too. This movie is so damn funny. I totally forgot. <laughs> like, the the scene where they, you know, and again, he, and he does it so great, too, with, you know, uh, juxtaposition with uh, the the horror moments you know we see the first alien sighting up on the roof and it's terrifying i forgot about that scene i was like oh shit that one got me and mm-hmm. then whenever him and Meryl are planning to to go outside because they think it's like one of the neighbor guys and Meryl's running through the plan like okay we're gonna <laughs> we're gonna act insane and like lose our mind you know scare me he's like he's like uh, explain lose my mind <laughs> and, yeah. he's like, yeah. and he's like telling him all these things and then just like mel gibson running around going ah i'm insane with anger i'm losing my mind <laughs> made me die for a moment like this movie is so funny they are like just the most ako tacos in the world i love them yeah yeah i totally forgot how funny it was actually and that was you know that was something that made me enjoy it a lot more with this rewatch uh there was there was so many there was that moment when they were running around and there's just loads of little just little bits that i don't again i probably just didn't pick up on when i was younger um and i can't even think of them now off the top of my head but just those kind of conversations between like mel gibson and Joaquin phoenix like i think they played together really well i think it's like i think it's really good casting with them too um and I wonder how much was I ablibbed as well, if it was just all M. Night or if it was little bits that they added in. Um, I'm sure Joaquin probably did. I'm not, I'm not sure how much Mel yeah. Gibson does any like ablibbed mm-hmm. in. Um, mm-hmm. And Garrett, you mentioned something about like, you know, sometimes his dialogue comes off a little inhuman. And, and I always enjoy that, like uh, with writers like uh, Yorgos Lanthimos or Riley Stearns. Um, you know, and I think with M. Night, it's like his characters speak in a way that like is without inhibitions. Like, you know, sometimes we are we will not say what we're truly thinking in our head because like we don't want to sound dumb or we don't want to sound silly, you know, or, um, you know, whatever. But then it's like, no, these characters like kind of say the things in a way like that you kind of would without like this like kind of judgment. Like they all kind of just like the way that they say everything is so like flat and straight, but like. And, but like, you know, to the point though, and I like that, like, you know, Graham as a dad doesn't like, um, discourage, like, you know, some of the like more mature things that his kids are saying versus like, you know, just like trying to come at them with their level at their level, you know? Um, but yeah, I I think that they all just like kind of speak in a way that like we all would, if we didn't have these like kind of, you know, things to, you know, that we are like scared of 
the way that we sound whenever we're like questioning these things, whether it's something like, you know, them having a genuine fear of like how, how the invasion's going to work, like what's going to happen, you know, like, uh, I love that Graham just like throughout, like he doesn't, you know, call his, uh, he doesn't like tell Morgan like, Hey, all that stuff in the book is, is mumbo jumbo. Like, don't believe any of it. He's just like, Oh, well, you know, I don't know. Like, I'm kind of curious about it too. Why don't you tell me about it? You know? So uh, yeah. very interesting in the way that the, the family communicates with each other. Yeah, I'm curious, Devon, if the the way of speaking that you're referring to, if that really struck a chord with you when uh, Joaquin Phoenix's character goes to the Army Recruitment Office and that guy's like, hey, you used to be that guy in the minor leagues. He says, why aren't you in the pros making stacks of cash, getting your toes licked by beautiful women? It's just like one of the – it's got to be one of my favorite M. Night lines. Like, it's so fucking ridiculous. And the actor that – portrays that character i don't know the name off the top of my head but it's fucking awesome (laughs) really it's Uh, so funny uh yeah the best so i wonder if that's the line you're like oh man they're just really saying what we're all thinking right oh i just i just yeah i wrote that i wrote them down i was like this uh this uh sergeant cunningham was his name uh one scene and makes a makes a big impression you know and he has this ridiculous little monologue but then man but then again like you know m night will find these like little sweet spots to like right after someone says something super ridiculous can like say something like very profound because then after uh Merrill is roasted by the guy when he's like, yeah, he also has the most, the record for most strikeouts and he like roasts him. And uh, mm-hmm. Merrill says one of my favorite uh, uh, lines in the film, he said, it felt wrong not to swing. And I was like, yeah. Oh man. I was like, and, and that kind of, you know, gives you such a, a, a clear picture of like what type of person Merrill is in just that like one line so it's like he has this big old monologue from the the you know cartoonish sergeant uh kind of saying a lot of nothing but then you know just one all it takes is one line there to make a big impression yeah and i think a reference to you were talking devon about that idea of um uh, uh graham not knowing like the he's in kind of encouraging this curiosity in his kids especially because his brother is is involved with it their uncle who's also kind of scared of what's happening but he's obviously kind of lost that faith he's lost that sense of wonder if you will Mm -hmm. but i think a good example of that is he's uh talking about the the book and how the the aliens were you know would behave or the tactics that they would use and he says that's ridiculous how could anybody possibly know that information then he says what else does it say you know so he's already kind of dismissing (laughs) it but then he's still kind of like inquiring of like that's complete bullshit but what else is in there just in case you know so i i think that's definitely an example of that yeah, definitely. And when they um, are all wearing the kind of tinfoil hats and uh, yeah. he comes down and sees them all, he's just like, okay, fine. Yeah. <laughs> like, we're doing this now, are we? Okay. Yeah. I don't yeah. believe that. <laughs> yeah, I like, the, I like the general progression of Meryl from like first, like he's like, you know, first he's totally dismissive. And then as soon as he sees something on the TV, then he's in it. And then you have him like, you know, watching the TV in the closet by himself, like absorbing yeah. it. And then it's like, I love that there's first a shot of the two kids with the tinfoil hat. And then like maybe like 15 minutes later in the film, it's like the exact same framing. But now Meryl's also in the shot with the tinfoil. <laughs> yeah. hat. Uh, so it's like I like uh, the, the, the the visual motif of it all um, as it goes it's along. Great. So let's talk about uh, these aliens here. Um, So I like how the film does uh, drop right in with the with the crop circles. You know, like within the the first like five minutes of it, um, throughout. And I like that um, throughout the film he does kind of give these like perfect glimpse amounts of like the the way that you see it. Like um, 
I could see somebody maybe complaining in this movie that we don't get enough of um, some of these alien moments that are like very scary. But like each one, though, I feel like is uh, placed in very perfect places, but then also done like the correct amount, like just like the the shot of in the crop or uh, like later on when Graham is running in the in the in the cornfields and they just sees the leg of the alien like and it's like, you know, super clear and like, you know, so uh, I like that. I feel like the way that he sprinkles it out um is kind of works out really well for me but I don't know what about you guys no I think I think you're exactly right I think I always struggle with horror movies where there is a kind of a a monster either whether it be an alien or a kind of demon and you just you see it too much and it kind of takes away the more you see it I think the more the horror gets taken away and I think that they've balanced it enough on here um where it's not like totally like these are just ridiculous things now i don't find them scary um yeah i think it's been balanced really well like i mean on this rewatch they looked a bit ridiculous now i I remember them looking like a lot more real (laughs) Uh, obviously it's like 20 years old so Mm. you know (laughs) we can we can give them a bit of that um but yeah i think that balance of how much we see them is is perfect really um like i say like any more we just um it just wouldn't i think they'll just not be not be as scary and it won't be as effective um and it's not really it doesn't feel like it's the aliens just seem to happen just to be there um right it's not like the central theme is it so i think that i never really see it as like an alien movie really so um mm. don't want to see them too much yeah i i definitely think there's like a, a practical reason why they're, why they're not shown they're like yeah. it's 2002 the cg yeah. is not great <laughs> in the movie i'm not gonna knock the movie this is like a super early days of cgi so it's like compared to modern standards yeah of course it's not gonna look great um yeah. i think it would not be any better or worse if they were just guys in suits i think that would also be kind of silly and it would look like scary movie three to be honest um but i think that the scenes that we do get of the creatures there's a reason why they're on so many people's lists you know like the when you see just their leg or just a hand or you know uh, going the little fingers under the door uh those both the scenes with the hands under the door Mm -hmm. you know i think that the the you know, scarcity of scenes with the creatures is a reason why a lot of those moments have endured. Um, whereas like the, towards the end of the movie, that's where a lot of people like rag on how the creature looks is cause you get like a pretty good look at it, even though it's obscured by like, you know, haze and sunlight and all of that kind of stuff. So I think a little goes a long way uh, with a, a lot of these types of films. And I think it's precisely the reason that they have remained so iconic these moments is because we don't see them, you know, mm-hmm. in, in the, their entirety throughout the entire film. And they're just kind of sprinkled a little bit throughout. I think it's super effective. I guess I could understand why some people would want to see more. But this isn't Independence Day. This isn't even like yeah. War of the Worlds yeah. or something like that. This isn't an alien invasion movie that takes such a unique approach to it. And I think it's precisely the reason that so many people want to see the creatures more. I think that almost kind of leads down a path of people misunderstanding this movie or what this movie I think is intended to be. I don't think it's supposed to be one of those, you know, aforementioned movies to where we see aliens taking over the world and people say like, well, why would you come to a world with water? And we can, we're definitely going to have those 
discussions. But I think the the reason that we just see them by themselves or just these, you know, kind of isolated ground forces, uh, as uh, Morgan would kind of uh, tell them as is, uh, I, I think it's really effective. And I think showing them more is not necessarily going to make them any scarier or, or anything yeah. like that. I, in fact, I think it'd be the opposite. Oh, yeah. I think yeah. Uh, I think the scarier shots of the aliens are the ones where we're not seeing them directly. Like, I think the scariest one for me is uh, whenever um, Graham pulls the TV out of the closet and he turns it and they just see it, it in the reflection of the TV. Oh, Terrifying. Yeah. That one got yeah. me. Um, but um, and I like that you guys both mentioned that this is not an alien invasion movie, at least in a traditional sense. Like this is an alien movie, but um, because, you know, the a lot of the fear is kind of placed upon like what is actually happening? Like, is there going to be this like, you know, bigger scale thing that's coming soon or, you know, or is it, you know, are they, you know, they are they friendly? Are they not? But then they kind of, you know, feel the, the hostility a little bit. Um, right out the gate and and really I mean because we see that that alien that was in the house later was the alien that was in uh in Ray's house so it's like is there only one of them like we really don't know like you know if there's even like multiple like as far as we know that's the same one on the tv footage as well um but I like that you know it does kind of play on you know it, again the fear is like you know what are they what do they want and that's where I I don't like the the criticism that people have of the ending. Um, people, you know, the the end of the movie is, you know, we see that water is uh, their weakness and 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 um, you know hurts them. And people are always saying like, well, why would an alien come to a plant that's mo mainly water? Um, that's that's silly. But then I'm like, well, there you go. Like I think that kind of plays on our expectations of like what would happen during an alien invasion like we always assume they're super intelligent and they got all this uh, extra technology that we don't have what if they don't what if they are dumb aliens and like and you know <laughs> they didn't know that this was a planet surrounded by water which is their weakness you know like we we don't know that so you know um and it's and it's set up throughout the entire movie. I like that he uh, is like, I'm not just going to give you Chekhov's water glass. I'm going to give you like 20 of them throughout the movie. <laughs> so that way you can't complain at the end of the movie that the water seems like a silly um, way out of the movie. I think it works out perfectly. Yeah, I think it's maybe, and we can kind of talk about that. I was going to mention it earlier, but I, I thought I would hold off. I'm, I would be fascinated to see when as a society we collectively collectively agreed that m night was the twist guy because if you look at his filmography even up to signs six Sense is really the only one with like a big twist like unbreakable which is what he did after six Sense. the twist is like this guy had orchestrated this whole thing you know uh, with mr glass he had orchestrated all of these these kills which is not like it's a not character a reveal but it's not like a big like whoa no, not a twist, twist yeah. you know and then with signs it is again kind of it's not a twist. It's said throughout multiple times in the movie. It's just alluded to of like this, you know, these group found like a primitive way to fight back against the creatures, which we find out later is water. And like it's it's pretty much alluded to throughout the entire thing. But even the water thing is not like a big like, whoa, kind of thing. So like <laughs> if you look at a lot of his movies, I would say the ratios of movies that he has made that do and don't have giant kind of mind shattering twists, it's more often they don't. So I just don't know like when did this Mandela effect thing happen of like every M. Night movie is going to have this big giant twist in it, which is maybe why I feel that people watching this really do focus on the, the water aspect of the aliens and to, to kind of address this one specifically 
I think you're right, Devon, that assuming that these creatures do have this this uh, heightened intelligence beyond the uh, you know our understanding of what we can do with technology and everything, I think would be present in a movie like A War of the Worlds or uh, uh, or Independence Day or something like this. But I think the fact that these creatures get here and leave almost immediately points to the fact that they probably didn't know, or if they did mm-hmm. know, they thought they could handle it. Like they shoot poison out of their wrists, and you know we breathe air, so like that would be a pretty easy fix i guess but maybe they were in over their head also people we're a relatively intelligent species and we mess with shit that could kill us all the time you know i have a gas stove right in there in my kitchen that could kill me you know like i i think this idea of you know why would these uh, these uh creatures come to a planet that in, in an invaded species that is entirely made up of water i don't think that they're here to maybe for the same reasons that other aliens would, would invade uh, mm-hmm. you know, a, a certain planets and, and other movies. I think they're here. They're here for a couple of days. They go, oh, shit, that one thing that could kill us is very plentiful here. Let's get out of here. I think that there's a reason there's such uh, like a uh, kind of a cloud of fear surrounding these creatures. Like they seem so scared and like almost like a deer in the headlights, even at the end of the movie where he's holding the kid. To me, I, I read that as not like anger or vengeance it's kind of like i'm trying to get the fuck out of here like i want to go <laughs> yeah. back home so yeah i don't know lots to definitely break down for this for sure yeah uh, definitely like i don't i don't think that i've ever i i don't the water thing was never really a criticism for me um and i think it was just like they just arrived and they're like oh we've really messed up here like there's <laughs> loads of water like <laughs> what are we gonna do and yeah i like the idea of it, it the possibility of it just being like one alien just like running about being like oh my god <laughs> like what's going on it could have been an accident but then you know kind of <laughs> yeah. but then we do know that like apparently there's you know uh crop circles coming up at different locations around the world and mm-hmm. i like that the movie doesn't go big scale with it either because it that's where it kind of like keep they try to keep introducing these theories of like, you know, like, oh, it's actually fairly easy to do this. All it takes is a board and rope. So it's like there could easily be people just doing this to like kind of add into uh, the, 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 the fear and the mystery of it all. Um, but obviously we do we know that it is like, no, there are aliens, but then also like how much of the rest of it is uh, is real. And I yeah. like and I like, um, you know, the way that they kind of connect the aliens with Graham and, um, you know, his loss of faith, because um, I think it's interesting, at least like for me in real life, I feel like I see a lot of people that like still dismiss aliens in a, in a way that I find fascinating that it's like, wait, you, you're, you don't believe in aliens like some other, you know, that we are not alone in this universe versus this imaginary powerful man up in the sky that created everything. <laughs> That yeah. so I like that Graham uh, is kind of pretty easily uh, believed into the idea of aliens because it's like well if I'm gonna you know have this kind of um, you know uh, suspension of disbelief then yeah of course I can kind of uh, uh, let my guard down into the idea of aliens so I feel like there's an interesting uh, dichotomy there. Yeah, I love the way that this movie, especially like in a post-COVID world, also kind of handles like the skepticism surrounding all of the aliens because you hear pieces of it like on the radio or on TV and something like that. And I think especially just coming or, you know, approaching the end of this idea of this 
this thing happening to the entirety of the world and how do people respond to it? There is this sort of like denial phase that everybody goes through with that. And I think that there are specific moments in this. I think it's especially there's uh, you hear a conversation happening on uh, the radio. I believe it's when Graham goes to the pharmacy to like pick up the medication. I'm pretty sure that's when you hear it on the radio. Um, but just these kind of naysayers, you know, that I could just totally see in like a more modern context of, you know, people saying the same thing about whatever the hell, because everybody, everything is a conspiracy now. And, you know, I, I just think that this movie has kind of found new like life in a weird way of just kind of like, oh, yeah, heard that a few times in the past couple of years. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah there's the old guy that's saying that, like, oh, they're just trying to sell us sodas. They've seen yeah, like 12, right. 12 soda adverts since the news has been on or something like that. <laughs> exactly. And yeah. Yeah, that's totally something. And I'm not even surprised if, like, this was to happen and a, a crop circle would show up in one place and then it would show up everywhere else in the world and the other places in the world it would just be someone copying it like that wouldn't surprise me if that was to happen like in real life People oh would i mean just be like imagine the tiktok trend you know like exactly I mean, yeah <laughs> yeah I, I, I can i can totally see it and i like <laughs> you know that they they not only um you know they and with the soda thing i feel like that was like them kind of introducing in uh, the idea that they kind of look into in the second half a little bit more about this, um, you know, about things happening for a reason or like, you know, these chance event type deals. Mm -hmm. And I like that, you know, we kind of see these different things play out that are, um, you know, getting Graham kind of thinking, um, you know, the way that they're connected. And and in a, I like that it's done in, I don't think it's done in a cheesy way. Like, I feel like all these like kind of, uh, little things that they are introducing of like, you know, first it's um with Ray talking about like, you know, like, oh, I never I've never fallen asleep on the road. And then like even after after I drove home, I didn't see a single car the rest of the time. Like, what if I fell asleep two minutes later, you know, um, yeah. and kind of going into that and then later on as well. And then, you know, so Graham is kind of taken aback at that fact. And it's, you know, a uh, the, the apology was pretty sincere, but man, that part though, when he's like, oh, maybe it was meant to be. Okay, that's kind of a hard thing to say to the guy, but like, I get where <laughs> yeah. your, uh, get where your head's at there. But then, um, when they introduce that later again for when Morgan, um, you know, the the alien sprays gas in him, but then they were like, oh, well, he was having an asthma attack, so his lungs were closed, so maybe he didn't breathe it in, so it was a sign that he had asthma that he needed that to defend himself against aliens say it out loud a little sillier but i feel like in the film it was kind of all these like little quote-unquote miracles uh work out in a way especially with you know bows you know glasses of water all around the house as well yeah and i mean yeah. shout out to m night too for like yeah. casting himself in this pretty sizable role because he does the hitchcock thing to where he has cameos like throughout all of his movies but they're not just cameos for real but this, Some is, of these, this is like, like a really sizable role <laughs> like wait 100 percent. like he is kind of the crux of graham's pain and everything and the fact that he has like a monologue in the movie <laughs> i think is is quite a gamble but i think that m night you know he is an actor i know uh praying with anger it, it was like his first film and he's kind of like the lead in that so he definitely has some experience i'm not going to say that he does the best job that anybody could possibly do but i think he does a good enough job um and yeah i it, it's a little distracting i'm not gonna lie it is a little distracting to see him in this moment but i think he does a pretty good job but i think it's it's fascinating that this is the movie that i would say he arguably has like 
the most substantial role, the the most screen time out of any of his cameos. Like he was not even a cameo in this. It's like a he's just a, a you know a role in the movie. I thought it was kind of funny. I mean, it's it's very meta in in a way because I mean he does it in old as well, where he like has a role that's actually pretty substantial to the film. And I like that in this one, like you you said, like you know he is his character is the reason for Graham's pain when I mean when you think about it too he's the writer of the film so he can you know he Whoa, is the one that that's the he is the twist. one that decides like <laughs> the amount of pain that you know people go through so it's fucking meta I I, I love it I, like I mean it, I think the monologue is solid like and I I think the monologue is solid but then Mel Gibson's reaction to it just like that the look the way his lip quivers and all he says is right is just like oh yeah. man like so um, I think uh, I don't think it was uh, distracting. It didn't pull me out because I was like, oh, yeah, like he does have a pretty, uh, uh, you know, weighted role in this. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And again, like, you know, has how much ever like obviously Mel Gibson is a awful person, but he is really good in this. And it's really annoying that he is really good in this because it's, you know, you don't want to be like waving the flag for him at all. Yeah. But like, yeah. And yeah. He has uh, Shitty people are, are capable of being also really talented people. It's just a shame. Yeah, he's a, a garbage person, so I won't give him his flowers too nope. much. But this no. is one of my preferred performances of his. Uh, I, I think it's a unique casting choice, and I think he does a good job. But it sucks that he's he's just a, a terrible person. Hey, at least he has a <laughs> yeah. sexy-ass voice, so whenever he's saying uh, racial or xenophobic things, at least it sounds nice uh, because it, his, his voice <laughs> vibrates in this movie. And I was like, yeah. ooh, ooh. Uh, I don't like how this is making me feel. Swings and roundabouts, I guess. Uh, right? <laughs> someone I am eager to give their flowers is Rory Culkin, who I think gives the best performance yes. in this movie, though. Like, he's really great in this film. Uh, I know uh, he is uh, uh, one of the ghost face, uh, so he's definitely got his, uh, his toes uh, heavily in the horror genre as well as plenty of other things. But I think he's really good in this movie. Uh, I think that he has, like... A surprisingly like you know a substantial amount of like emotional scenes given his age in the film uh i think he's able to convey quite a lot i think there's multiple scenes in the movie where he's just like i was just like dang like i again i kind of forgot like how how good he is in this movie also joaquin phoenix is is really great um kind of playing like this idiot like i also forgot about the scene <laughs> just after like the really important monologue in this movie joaquin phoenix tells like a really stupid story about he was at a party one time and nearly got his mouth thrown up in oh, yeah. and he's just like it's just like that and, and graham is like yeah dude like it's just like it <laughs> well and, sure. I, and I, I actually <laughs> like I, I put that note like I feel like that even though that is such a silly story I feel like it is so important though to the that it's the counter to the idea of like you know everything happens for a reason everything was a miracle and he's like yeah or yeah it, everything happens for a reason I wasn't meant to get thrown up on when I was kissed sure thing Graham <laughs> so it's like I yeah. feel like it's also an interesting uh, counterpoint to that but uh yeah uh great performance I mean uh, uh, baby Culkin, real good in this. Uh, he uh, has a, a, a just a really uh, he has that like look in his eyes, like he's like thirty years old, but he's like stuck in a like seven year old's <laughs> body. And he's just like looks like he's seen some shit, and uh, I really yeah. like that. But Abigail Breslin, though, I mean, she has some great lines in this, and just like the deliveries of. I mean, of course, we have the iconic. There's a monster outside my bedroom. Kind of a glass of water. Like only a, a very awkward little four or five year old could. Uh, deliver that line with uh, such <laughs> sincerity um, I really love and then um, 
another one of the sillier lines that Mel gives and just reads perfectly is, uh, everyone in this house needs to calm down, eat some fruit or something. Uh, <laughs> just like, <laughs> like everybody is really tuned into uh, the performances that they need to give this dialogue, uh, I feel like. <clears throat> yeah. Lots. I, I also love the the dinner scene where he's like frustratingly eating mashed potatoes. We've all <laughs> been yeah. there. We have so all been crying stuff. eating <laughs> bacon. We've been there. <laughs> also very sweet w- too. Like if you're gonna uh, the end of the world, let's have everything for dinner. All of yeah. it. Yeah, that's what I was gonna say. I'm like they have a pretty good pantry going on there. Like I was thinking, right? like oh maybe they're just gonna like pretend to make it, you know, and just they're actually just gonna have something <laughs> simple. But no, they made everything that they right. asked for. And it's like, <laughs> like yeah, no no store run for any of those things. We <laughs> no, had we yeah. had French toast, chicken teriyaki, spaghetti, mashed potatoes, <laughs> and cheeseburgers with bacon, all of it. ready and ready to go. <laughs> Got yeah. hang around and uh, French toast and mashed potato. That is a that's a definite mix of food. Like, oh, yeah. like I like both of those things separately together. I don't know, but yeah, what, kind of, that's and, like the weird like uh, multiverse version of like chicken and waffles. It's just like not quite right, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> what, what would your guys's What would your guys's uh, end of the world uh, meal be? Oh man. That's a good one. Uh, I don't know. I think it would it would be something nostalgic for me, something like tied to like my childhood or some kind of like regional food. There's a, certainly a lot of like places where where I'm from that it's like you can only get that specific restaurant in that location, like a, a locally owned uh, owned food. So I would I'll spare you guys a local reference, but I would say it would be something probably like that. It's not going to be like the greatest meal I've ever had, but it's more something that like reminds me of specific memories or time with family which isn't that you know isn't that the most signs thing yeah yeah definitely i think it would be the same for me as well some either something nostalgia or just like just a really good burger i think i'd be on mel's side there and just like just give me like the best burger ever yeah the and one from I'll, the menu. I'll be happy. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, the one from the menu. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm right there with uh, I'm right there with Morgan because uh, breakfast is my favorite meal. Uh, so I would definitely uh, I make some me- I make myself some pretty mean French toast. I make these uh these French toast sandwiches, and it's like you do like uh the, the French toast, and you do like eggs and a uh, sausage patty with uh some Swiss cheese. And you, and they dip it in syrup. So I'd I'd make myself one of those uh, with a side of cheesecake because um, it's my favorite thing. So Dang. Yeah, that that that'd be mine. I don't want to spend the rest amazing. of the apocalypse like constipated though. So the cheesecake would have <laughs> yeah. to be uh, have to be sidelined a little bit for me. I'm gonna spend <laughs> I'm gonna spend my final moments on the toilet, which would be no good. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Worth Not how it. you want to go out? <laughs> Worth it. Oh man, but um the. Uh, uh, totally pivoting in a totally different direction. I want to talk about some of uh, the technical aspects of this because uh, we do have some really uh, fantastic shots. But then, man, this score by James Newton Howard, uh, you know, frequent collaborator of M. Night, and um, he really, uh, really carries uh, the, the tone of the movie because, like, in the first half, it's not really there all too much. It's uh, kind of there in, like, these sparing moments, and then we kind of get a little bit more of it uh, throughout. And, um, but, uh, like, the, the, the especially... Uh, the, the track whenever we have Meryl swinging away at the at the alien in this climax and he's you know breaking the and smashing the water glasses and stuff like it's so it was very triumphant and I, I loved it yeah. yeah yeah definitely I think it's 
and I, I again, it was something that I just didn't pick up on. Um, but that, that opening sequence, just the title with all the titles going, um, like that really got me. Mm-hmm. Um, and my partner, you like walked into the room and it was like, "Well, that's really in your face, isn't it?" Like I forgot. Yeah. And I was like, "Yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah, totally." <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, he's definitely uh, one of the the you know, all stars of this movie. The The opening title gets uh, a lot of love as it should. It's super effective, really chilling, but also, yeah, you're right, Devon. It really punctuates a lot of the emotional bits of the movie. Uh, I think that this is a, a collaboration, you know, M night and James Newton Howard, that was really popular earlier uh, in his career, but since has kind of like not really popped up as much, uh, I would like to see him come back. I don't think he's like a great fit for something like, old or even knock at the cabin but maybe if he has something a little bit more humanistic coming you know uh, down the pipeline perhaps uh but yeah his his role in this is just uh, could not be understated it's so so good yeah i like that he um tends to work with um you know with his these uh, frequent collaborators and and they always kind of come from different genres too um you know james newton howard not known for doing a ton of horror scores and uh, same with a uh, cinematographer uh, tak fujimoto like uh, they they went on to stuff, but he's more of an action director or a, a, a cinematographer. And mm-hmm. then uh, James Newton Howard, you know, coming. I mean, he has a pretty diverse filmography, but he does come from a lot of these more like you know uh, drama uh, dramas. Uh, he did a lot of John Hughes movies, um, so he does kind of have these like more like you know upbeat you know angles. But then I think you know mixing that with uh you know the horror kind of gives it this like a uh, whimsical feel a little bit that that works out really well with uh, M Night's films. Yeah, definitely. And I think because because of the the kind of the play of genres with and the themes really of it being more like a family based film and them dealing with loss and understanding faith, I think it's a good fit for for him to be kind of like making the kind of music because it's not just pure horror, is it? So you don't really want anything to to in your face horror has its moments when it needs to. But then when it needs to be a bit more uh, like triumphant or a bit more kind of based around a a family and a bit more like a bit nicer um yeah he's a, he's a perfect fit for it yeah and howard also like punctuates a lot of the jump scares like really well in this movie mm-hmm. i love how that's such an issue with modern horror films i think it's gotten better in the past few years but the jump scares are usually accompanied by like this just deafening you know boom noise but yeah with this it's just like a simple little like i don't know the technical term for it but it's just like a stroke of the violin or a cello or something mm-hmm. like that and it's like so chilling and it's really subtle in a nice way it's not overpowering so it, it allows the scare to be at the forefront rather than just this noise uh so mm-hmm. the scene in particular and i i love the way that you know uh Shyamalan kind of like paces the scene uh, but it's the famous kind of like under the door scene with the knife and Mm -hmm. all of that because he kind of goes away and then comes back and that's like right when it happens is when you kind of have this false sense of security it's like okay he's not doing the dumb thing he's going out of the house but he just can't help himself looks under the door and that's when it kind of happens and it's you know that scene is is it's I feel like if that was in a modern movie it wouldn't be done the same way I think it would be really overpowering but I think Shyamalan is able to approach it with such subtlety that allows the scare to really shine and and be so chilling yeah Yeah. I feel like a lot of modern scores these days they also do a poor job of like anticipating it too much like like it's like there's some movies where it's like you can like literally know exactly what it is because the score kind of tips its hat a little too much versus in this one uh, uh howard is 
uh, content with like, you know, letting, you know, pieces have like a little breathing room in between a little bit of silence. And then so that way you kind of uh, don't have to overpower it with this like wall of sound. So uh, done, done super well. And uh, so I guess we can go ahead and start wrapping up into our final thoughts of this. We'll go ahead and rank this one out of five glasses of water. Um, how were we feeling about this uh, most recent watch of signs? Uh, go ahead, Alice, as our guest of honor. Um, well, you know what? I think the more that we're, I've kind of talked about it, yeah, I think you've kind of swayed me a little bit for it to go up a bit more in my estimations. Um, and I think no, I'm going to give it maybe three and a half glasses of water nice. uh, out of five. Um, it's very good. I mean, I, I, I did enjoy it. I think that I've always put it down as like, oh, I haven't found it scary. So like, I don't really think it's that good compared to his other films, some of his other films. Um, but kind of thinking about it more as a kind of, as a non-horror piece, I think it's very good. Um, and at least like explore some really good, good themes. Um, so yeah, three and a half glasses of water for me. Not, not bad for an M. Night skeptic. I'll take it. I'll take it. <laughs> Garrett, how about you? Yeah, this was a real pleasure uh, to watch again. Uh, I was, you know, really enjoyed the movie, scared the hell out of me when I was a kid. So being able to watch it and just have it be enjoyed on a completely different side, uh, a side of, of depth and, and, and character and being able to appreciate the performances and a lot of the technical aspects that we've seen, but also being able to like know where M. Night goes and you know what he's capable of, both good and bad, and to see that in this it's really restrained, it's, it's really, human has a lot of heart, but it is also really terrifying. I think that M. Night, with this in particular, and a lot of his other films, is almost his like his own worst enemy in a way um it's the expectations that he's put on himself and, and what people kind of uh, expect to see in a lot of his films and i think with this that he's proven to be able to be a lot more than just the twist guy um for me this is a a four and a half out of, or a, a, excuse me a four out of five uh, uh contaminated glasses of water <laughs> so really like this movie uh and I'm, I'm a proud owner of this one on blu-ray so i was able to actually like pop it in and be like let's watch signs so i was excited to watch it nice nice um, I really loved uh, your uh, mini review on Letterbox. Uh, if whoever doesn't <laughs> like this movie is a cop, uh, so good to know no cops. <laughs> thank in, you, thank you, thank good you. to know no cops in this recording. Um, I got this one out of three and a half, uh, three and a half out of five glasses of water. Uh, I feel like this is a one of his nice, a little bit more lean movies. It's very straightforward, like I kind of said, and uh, has a very nice mix of uh, of you know some horror in there. We got the drama. Um, I really uh, was compelled by every performance in the film. Even uh, even the cop uh, is fantastic as well <laughs> in the movie. Um, her her performance is uh, really great. And um, but uh, just uh, I really liked. Um, uh, I was very uh, endeared by the family and uh, their their relationship together and the way that they kind of handled the situation just felt very genuine. Um, I like that the aliens, yes, were not a huge part of the movie, but they, you know, tied into the themes more than they tied into the plot itself. And uh, if this, if I was, um, you know, looking to show someone a movie to kind of uh, show a, a, a 
a side of you know the way that I kind of look at uh, faith and religion. I, I really like this film, like uh, uh, for the themes and messages that uh, it was exploring. Uh, I found them very fascinating. Um, but you know, it's not my favorite um, of M Night's films. I've, it's not as uh, I you know I I tend to lean on his more fun films. Uh, than uh, some of his more dramatic ones, which we'll be getting into a little bit later here in the month. Um, but let's go ahead and see what other movies that we were thinking about when we were watching Signs. All right, here on the Spectre Cinema Club, we like to conclude all of our episodes by playing a game uh, called Movie Math. Uh, you just take a few movies and put them in an equation. Uh, just has to equal the film that we talked about today. So, our guest of honor, Miss Alice, what movies were in your equation? Um, so, I I did struggle with this a little bit. I think because I read the word math and then I like panicked, <laughs> <laughs> as, as seems to happen. But. Um, uh, our Independence Day was one that came like straight to my head and I think they're probably around kind of close to when they came out I can't remember when Independence Day came out mm -hmm. in the 90s at some point late 90s um and I think whenever I think of aliens I think of Independence Day so that one um, definitely uh, came to mind um the birds did as well and I know that M. Night took a like what is one of his influences as well um and then Scary Movie 3, <laughs> all I can think about as well. <laughs> Always up there. <laughs> um, yeah. And there's, a, there's some like zombie film like aspect of it as well, where I guess you can kind of, because you don't really see like any aliens arriving apart from seeing the crop circles. So they don't see these things and being beamed down. So it kind of have that like zombie feeling of this thing following you around and like you know could it be an alien could it be a zombie i don't know like mm. <clears throat> interesting i mean i i feel that and kind of uh, the the post-apocalyptic vibes even though this doesn't feel very end of the world ish but like there is kind of that that idea of uh, they're just like kind of dealing with this uh this problem that just like kind of pops up i can see some parallels between uh, some mm -hmm. alien and zombie films yeah, as a Hitchcock fan myself, I also love your your choice of the birds. I think that's really um, on point. Uh, for mine, I have the McPherson tapes, which is not a great found footage movie, uh, but it approaches the alien invasion genre uh, at a really grounded level, which I think that this film does as well. I also love that Signs has this, it's almost like a little bit of a time capsule of a movie to have this early 2000s analog quality to it, which I don't think talking about like TikTok and all that kind of stuff would not play the same in more of a modern sense, like scenes where they're watching the news and they grab a V, uh, you know, a VHS tape to record over it. And these old like CRT TVs and these not, you know, HD cameras that are capturing this thing that you just have to like pause and you, you, the, the, you know, try to in, extrapolate from all the graininess and everything. What's, what's exactly happening. I think it really adds to the scares um, of this film. So I have that, and I'm, and I'm adding it, and, and stay with me here, I'm adding it with Field of Dreams. And it's not just because of the corn, mm. not just the corn <laughs> of the movie, uh, but also I think that the, the two leads of the film go through similar journeys, not the same. Field of Dreams isn't as much about, like, my wife died and I'm sad, but it is about how, you know, trying to move on from the past and still dealing with loss and trying to 
regain that sense of 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 hope and you know joy that you once felt and trying to kind of learn again how to see what you have and not just what you lost so uh yeah field of dreams not just the corn but the heart too no i love that because i was i was kind of struggling with mine but uh i really liked uh, that choice that's a that's an interesting one um so for mine um as far as uh, bringing the alien aspect but also uh, with the very human drama and kind of subversion of what an alien invasion is i got arrival um, you know, we kind of have uh, the lead characters going through similar things, except for Amy Adams is dealing with trauma she hasn't had yet, um, which is, you know, kind of taking this to the next level. But also the idea of like, OK, hey, yeah, what if aliens were coming and they weren't invading and, and they didn't have hostile uh, intentions and they wanted to help us and give us something? What if that, you know, what if we kind of had a more. Uh, hopeful, uh, you know, more optimistic look on um, aliens coming down to Earth. And I have it multiplied by a movie. <laughs> have, you, have either of you guys seen The Shack? <laughs> the, <laughs> yeah, the Jesus movie with yeah. Sam Worthington? Yes. Hell yeah. I have not I have not seen it, but uh, yeah, as, as somebody who grew up around a lot of Christians, I'm very familiar with the film. <laughs> this movie, oh my God, as far as Christian propaganda movies go, is pretty wild and unhinged, and I respect it for that. But uh, yeah, Sam Worthington goes... Uh, to a shack in the woods uh, after dealing with a a, a very tragic loss um, is uh, told to go uh, mourn in this shack where he is visited by God uh, in the form of Octavia Spencer. <laughs> and uh, it has a very just weird tone to it. Uh, very interesting. Uh, again, like it is very, you know, preachy in a way, but at the same time, it's like, it's so unhinged. So I feel like that kind of <laughs> makes sense. I don't know. Maybe it was intentional that way. I don't know. Um, but it's a it's a very odd film. Um, the perform uh, Sam Worthington absolutely terrible. He's he is not a good actor. But the movie itself is a uh, fairly entertaining enough to if you've ever been curious about the shack, um, I, I would say check it out. <laughs> That sounds amazing. I'm going to put that on my list. Just uh, <laughs> I, I, I wouldn't, but hey, if you want to, I guess. <laughs> oh, if, it's, if it's like a little bit like dumb and like entertaining in that way, I'll, I'll probably enjoy it just for like what is going on here. <laughs> I mean, it's it's not a, it, I would say it would fit in well on your guys' podcast to, to knock back a few boos and watch this one, but it's not okay, exactly, yeah. it's not exactly a horror movie. It is a, a fantasy, but I mean, I don't know, depending on how you look at it, it could be a horror movie but um <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh but speaking of your pod thank you so much for coming on and joining us uh where can the people find you and uh, uh where can the people find your podcast so you can find me mainly on twitter um i am at uh, a boyd leslie and you can find the podcast on Twitter and on Instagram at drunken horror um and basically kind of do similar vibes of what you're doing we chat about movies but we um we get we have a drink whilst we're doing it um and we've got some yeah we've got some fun stuff coming up um yeah I saw you had mother really on the schedule and on. I'm very excited for that yeah yeah we've got we've got some fun things we don't really have like set themes or anything because we kind of go on it's just we tend to bring on guests and whatever they want to talk about we will talk about um, nice. so it's always random <clears throat> nice we will have links to that in the show notes below garrett what are you working on 
Uh, you guys can follow me on uh, TikTok, Twitter, and Letterboxd uh, if you want to see more silly reviews uh, at Garrett McDowell. Uh, if you want some more podcast stuff, you can uh, subscribe to my other podcast that I host called Scum and Villainy. Uh, it's a Star Wars podcast, and you guys can uh, find links to all that good stuff in my Twitter at Garrett McDowell. Yes, and you can find me at the usual places as well, Twitter and Instagram at underscore Daddy Disco. Um, and make sure you are, of course, following the, uh, Insta- uh, the Twitter page for the podcast where I've been uh, giving out some recommendations for Black History Month, um, some uh, horror movies for you guys to check out. So go follow us over there. I'll probably uh, maybe do some stuff over on the TikTok as well. And of course, you can hear me over on uh, Pod and Pendulum from time to time. We're about to start covering the Purge series, wrapped up the Phantasm series. Uh, so go uh, take a listen over there. But. Now go ahead and do it for this week's episode of the Spectre Cinema Club. New episodes drop every Tuesday. Subscribe to not miss a thing. You can follow us on social media at Spectre Cinema on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. And if you're listening on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, leave us five stars, a nice little review. We appreciate you. But until next time, guys, stay lifted.